Listen, his presence is real. His presence is real. He loves you. He loves you dearly. He actually loves your body. He fitted and formed you when you were in your mother's womb. Okay? He fashioned you and created you. He loves your body. He loves giving healing to your body. He enjoys that. And I don't have all the answers to, as to why not all of them happen immediately. I know some of those answers, but I don't have all those answers. But I do know this. He loves you and he loves your body. And his presence brings healing and flows through your body. I also know this. I know that Jesus is really trying to awaken us as his sons and daughters again to the fact that he doesn't want us to walk in religion, but he wants us to walk in relationship. He's trying to open our eyes to that. And this gathering of believers is important, but if we just gather because we sing and because we have a message and we do these things, if it's become rote or tradition or ceremony, we're missing the whole point. We gather in his name because God's word says that as we come together, we encourage one another and all the more as we see the day approaching. How many know that when you're by yourself in worship that you're the temple of the Holy Spirit? When you're by yourself with the Lord and you're the, and you don't need anybody else there, but there's also times that we come together and how many know that we together are also the temple of the Holy Spirit? And so, we, so it, it's the beautif beautifulness of this moment that we have with Jesus in worship by ourselves and the moment that we have together and corporately. And I just want you to know he loves you. He cares for you. He wants healing to be given to your body. He wants healing to be given to your home. And he wants you to walk in victory. He desires that for you. He is for you. He's not against you. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. When he gave his son, he gave his best. And he who was, who was willing to not even spare his own son, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things. Come on, church. Jesus loves you. Okay? He loves you. And I need to affirm that to you today. I don't know what's going on in your life. If financially you're broke, physically you've been battling it, your family might have a lot of extra stress going on right now. You might even be questioning some of the things that you grew up believing and you're wanting. You need to know he loves you. He cares for you. He knows how many hairs you have on your head. Now, for some of us, it's easier than others, right? <laughs> But he knows how many hairs you have on your head. He cares for you deeply. He doesn't miss a moment. He doesn't miss a moment. And when you wonder if he's there, you wonder if he's listening, and you're calling upon him, and you're like, God, you know what I'm going through. He's like, oh, I am right here with you, and I am walking through it with you. Remember when Jesus was on the cross, he even shouted out, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which when translated means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In that moment on the cross, when Jesus was feeling the weight of the sins of humanity, even he felt forsaken. He wasn't forsaken, but he felt forsaken. How many know that sin leaves you feeling forsaken? Have you, ever, have, you ever tempt, have you ever been tempted and you followed the temptation and you went, well, that's not where I wanted this to go? Because it leads to destruction, it leads to death. And Jesus bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Jesus was covered with the curse of our sin and he felt it and he felt forsaken. Why? So that when we would sin and feel forsaken, we would have somebody that we could turn to. Somebody that knows exactly what we went through. 
Somebody that knows what sin does to a person. How many know that God's word says what you do in secret will be shouted from the rooftops? Have you found that to be true? And that was even in the days before social media, right? Okay, sin will leave you forsaken. It'll leave you abandoned. It'll leave you empty. And Jesus says, that's okay. Just go ahead and give all of that to me because I already paid the price for it. I won't forsake you. I won't leave you empty. I won't abandon you. I have promised I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I'm a friend that sticks closer than a brother. I will surround you and flow in you. And I will pour myself into you because I love you that much. That's the kind of Jesus that you serve. For some of us, that's the kind of Jesus that we need to serve. One that would pour himself for us. He gave his life as a ransom for many. Who was brought up in the church and you got tired of it? Okay, yeah. Who wasn't brought up in the church but you're tired of it anyway? <laughs> All right. I was brought up in the church. I got tired of the whole thing. I got tired of, of having to cry every time I went to the altar to pray because really holy people try, uh, cried. The church that I went to, the, the women even prayed on one side and the men would pray on the other because we were extra holy. Heaven forbid you, you pray close to somebody of the opposite sex. I don't, did you notice with our younger kids, we almost had that division up here earlier. We had, thank God we had one girl. We had one Kenny liberal. We had a liberal Kenny girl over on this side because we had all the, the boys and the, and the liberal Kenny girl and then we had all the girls over here, and we had a division in the middle and they would not touch. It's like good Amish worship. Did you notice that? <laughs> Okay, that's what we had going on. And I was brought up in one of those churches. I remember one time, well, several times, they'd call people forward to the altar to go pray, and my mom would start crying as she got out of the pew. It was remarkable. I'm like, how do you pull that off? <laughs> I mean, as she would, she would start to cry as she would stand up. And I remember one time I said, Mom, will you spank me? Now, they always would say, are you asking for a spanking? To which my answer was always no. But that was one time. I'm like, Mom, will you spank? She's like, why? I'm like, because I need to cry when I pray. Because I felt like I wasn't holy or religious enough or because I wasn't crying. And I'd hear my grandpa in the men. Not only did we have people divided up at the altar to pray, but we even had a men's prayer room and a women's prayer room for the even more super spiritual than the rest of us. And my grandpa Riley would go into that back room and he would kneel down over the folding chair and you'd hear him in there. Oh, God. Oh, 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 oh Jesus. Jesus, 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 Merry Christmas. And I'd hear him back there. And there were times I would wonder if God was going to answer. Oh, Ed. Ed, 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 What do you want? But... I get there are some times that you're so torn up that you've got nothing else to say, but oh God, not every week, not every week. And I realized that there was such religion in what I was brought up in, and I was missing out on the fact that, you know what, Jesus really loves us. And he doesn't gather us into this moment because he wants you to suffer on a day when it's too cold, and what pastor keeps church anyway? He actually just enjoys the time with you. He adores you. 
And I guess one of the reasons that we're invited to come and to adore him is because we're created in his own image and he put his best into us when he created us. Are you familiar with the passage in Genesis 1.27 where it says, so God said, let us create man in our own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Let us. The Hebrew word there is Elohim. It's kind of the plural word for God. So you can see that God the Father and God the Son and God the Spirit were all involved in the creation of man. So when you look around this room, you see people that have literally been created in the image of God. Obviously, God's got tremendous personality and loves all sorts of different things because just look around this room to see the way that he's done it for each of us. Listen, I had this great message prepared. Well, it wasn't that great. It was, I, I bought it on sermons.com. <laughs> I didn't have time to study this week. It was 1999, um, but no tax because we're a church, so it's tax exempt. So I mean, that's a really good deal. But I couldn't go into it without laying a foundation of you need to know how much you're loved. And I'm here to tell you, if we prayed for your body to be healed, healing is flowing through your body right now. It's flowing through your body right now. You should be feeling a difference already in your body. Okay, it's just one of his gifts that he has for you. I'm going to share a couple of passages for you, and I won't take all that long. We've already, we've already had a wonderful time. I just, I'll, I'll give you a couple of passages and try to summarize them the best that I can. Psalm 33, verses 5 through 6, we looked at this last week, but it's just so beautiful, I had to refer to it again. It says, the Lord loves righteousness and justice. So the question is, what does the Lord love? Righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his unfailing love. I know there's a lot of challenges in the world, but I know that the unfailing love of God is in the world. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. How were the heavens made? By the word of the Lord. Their starry host by the breath of his mouth. This is where we learn that our God is a star breather. That literally stars were created by the breath of the mouth of God. I believe that one of the reasons that God put such vast array and beauty into the heavens is because he wanted to get us looking up. Because when you look up into the heavens, you realize quickly how small you are. And it also starts to open your eyes to how big our God is. How many you know that he's eternal? You can't add anything to him. He's omnipresent. He's always everywhere. Isn't that just hard to comprehend? He's always eternal. He's always everywhere. And you look at the vastness of the heavens, and it gets, it gets our gaze upward. And then he uses the heavens to speak to us. Last week, we studied, and just for review, Numbers chapter 24, verses 15 through 17, a sorcerer gave a prophecy and I love that God can use sorcerers to give prophecies. The sorcerer was getting ready to give a curse, but he was so arrested by the presence of God that before he even realized it, he was beginning to give proper revelation. And it, it says, the oracle of Balaam, the son of Beor. Feels like he should be in the Lord of the Rings, doesn't it? Who, who sent you, the son of Beor? The oracle of one whose eyes see clearly. The oracle of one who hears the words of God, who has knowledge from the Most High, who sees a vision from El Shaddai, the Almighty, who falls prostrated and whose eyes are opened. Look at what this guy sees. Look at what he, what he says. I see him, but not now. I behold him, 
but not near. A star will come out of Jacob. A scepter will rise out of Israel. How many of you have heard of the Christmas star? The star over Bethlehem. Did you realize that that was actually prophesied by a sorcerer? That was arrested by the presence of God? And this guy that was hired to bring a curse on Israel actually got so caught up by the presence of God that his, his spiritual eyes were open and he said, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not quite yet. His eyes were opened. Are you ready for this? Here's a good theological word for us. To the pre-incarnate Jesus. What does pre-incarnate mean? Incarnation is when God put on flesh, almost like we put on clothing today. Okay, Jesus wasn't created 2,000 years ago. Rather, 2,000 years ago, Jesus, God's son, put on flesh like clothing. And he left glory to bring glory to you and me. He chased after us by putting on humanity like you would put on a garment. That's incarnation, when God became flesh. But because God became flesh 2,000 years ago, it doesn't mean that he began to exist 2,000 years ago. He's always been. Alpha and Omega. Before creation was created, there was a creator. Right? Everything is created by something, and the creator created everything. So long before everything that we know as creation was here, the creator was already here. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And at just the right time, Scripture says in the fullness of time that God sent his Son. So at the right time for the prophetic words to be fulfilled, he sent Jesus. How did he do it? Born of a virgin. Why? So that he wouldn't be contaminated by the seed of man. Because how many know there's not a pure man? Every lady in this house should say amen. Ladies, how many know there's not a pure man? Can I get an amen? Okay. Here's your think about it. Jesus wasn't created 2,000 years ago. He simply dressed himself in humanity that he might bring the glory of God to us. Now, the reason that I know this, really, I can even refer to one verse that Jesus prayed the night before his crucifixion. Have you ever read John 17? In John 17, Jesus prays for himself, and then he prays for his disciples, and then he prays for future believers. And in that, there's this beautiful moment. Look in verses four through five. He says to his father, this is Jesus praying to God, the father, I've brought you glory that's the Greek word doxa. How many of you have ever sang the doxology before? Okay, it means, it means splendor, brightness, majesty. I've brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. How about that? Jesus actually completed the task. No wonder I don't have to do anything for my own salvation. He's already done the work for me. And now, Father, look at what Jesus says. Glorify me, doxa me in your presence with the doxa, with the glory I had with you before when? The world began. Just another gentle reminder that he's Alpha and Omega. I had glory with you. I left that glory to come and do the work for you, but now I am ready to receive that glory again. I'm ready to step back into that. Here's the, here's the thought. Jesus had glory before the creation of the world because he created the world. So when you think about Jesus, I don't want you to just think about a baby in a manger. I don't want you to think about a broken man gasping for air on a cross. 
I don't want you to think about somebody that's wrapped up in claws and placed into a tomb. No, I want you to think about a resurrected king that's at the right hand of his father, that everything's been placed underneath his feet and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Always king, always eternal, always been, always will be. Look in Revelation chapter 22. How about this, a Christmas service and we're turning to Revelation. Today, I'm going to use the remainder of my time to reveal the Antichrist <laughs> when the seven-year tribulation begins and Joel Osteen's role in the whole thing. Yes. Pastor Josh has been asking for me to bring this for a while. I've got a fresh word. It's a timely word. It's completely heretical, but it's fresh nonetheless. Revelation chapter 22, verse 16 all right, some of you are going to be disappointed. I'm really not going to go into all those things. We'll, we'll hit that at the beginning. Of the, sorry, Abby, I didn't mean to offend you. <laughs> She's very staunch for biblical interpretation. She's been brought up in the Jacob household. They're very staunch about that. Revelation chapter 22, verse 16, Jesus says this, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. Then listen to what Jesus says about himself. I'm the root and the offspring of David and the bright morning star. Now, I, I'm going to sum this up because I just grabbed a couple of sentences of, of the whole entire book of Revelation, right? So let me just, let me remind you of a couple of things. Where was the apostle John when he wrote the book of Revelation? Does anybody remember? We all know that. The Isle of Patmos. He had been exiled there for being a follower of Christ. If, if, you, if you've ever wondered, why did these Christians get arrested all the time? You really want the simple answer? It's because they were preaching that there was another king rather than Nero. I mean, rather than the emperor of Rome. They're like, there's another king. And they're like, no, there's not another king. No, there really is another king. <laughs> then you're going to die. So, and, I mean, at its simplest form, that's why they were, they were, it was almost like tyranny to the Roman Empire, that they would actually proclaim that there was another king. And and aren't you thankful that there is another king and he's the king of kings, yeah. Jesus. So many of the original disciples, as a matter of fact, of the original 12, we know that Judas killed himself. And of the 11 that were left, 10 of them were brutally executed for their walk with Christ. They were martyrs for Christ. John, who's known as John the Beloved because he called himself that, so he didn't struggle with confidence, right? <laughs> Who are you? I'm John, John the Beloved, okay? So he didn't struggle with confidence. John was exiled to the island of Patmos. Now, he, he wasn't martyred for the Lord, but he still suffered greatly. It's not like he was at Club Med when he was on the island of Patmos. And it says that one day on the Lord's day, he was caught up in the spirit, which people go, well, what's the, isn't every day the Lord's day? Well, at that time, when they referred to the Lord's day, they were typically referring to Sunday because uh, the Sabbath was on a Saturday, but Jesus rose on a Sunday. So from that day on, they said, hey, that's the Lord's day. It's the day that he rose. So on a Sunday, John says, I was caught up in the spirit. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean that his spirit left his body and he went to heaven? Doesn't say that. Does that mean that, that his natural eyes kind of faded back and his spiritual eyes were open? Does that mean that the angel left the heavens and came down and, and they had this spiritual connection? It could be any of those things. I don't have an issue with any of it. He was caught up in the spirit and it was beautiful. And, 
And the angel gave him one message after another, and he shared it all. And how many completely understand Revelation with no problem whatsoever? Good, good. Four of us. That's what I was thinking. Okay. But we get to this place, and Jesus says to him, he goes, I've sent my angel to give you, and by the way, the Greek word for you here, uh, my Louisiana contingent, you're going to love this. The Greek word for you here is actually you all. Y'all, all all right? So, so, uh, I, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give y'all this testimony. Now, the reason I point that out is because that means then this revelation wasn't just for John. It was for all of us. Also, how many know that there's one church in the Lord Jesus? But how many know that his one church has multiple locations? And I get, you know, I know people get on different tangents and how can you say that you're a church when there's only one church? Notice what Jesus says. I give y'all this testimony for the what? (laughs) Churches. Why do we fight about things Jesus doesn't fight about? Yes, we're one church, but there's local churches. Okay? There's local churches. That's why even at the beginning of the letter, he goes to the angel of the church of Philadelphia and Thyatira and Thessaloniki. And and he's speaking to those different... He's like, I've got, for all of y'all, I've got this incredible message. What is it? I'm the root and the offspring of David and the bright morning star. We're in a series at Faith Chapel entitled More Than a Star. One of the reasons that he's more than a star is because he's also the root and the offspring of David. Now, what does that mean? How many know that for a a tree to produce good fruit, it has to have a good root system? Okay? And yet, the fruit is the offspring of a good root system. So Jesus is almost speaking paradoxically when he's saying, I'm the root of David, but I'm the offspring of David. I'm the establishment of the Davidic monarchy, but I'm also the result of the Davidic monarchy. I'm the root and the offspring of David. Now, in Matthew chapter 22, Jesus addressed this with the religious crowd. It kind of baffled their minds. While they were, the Pharisees were gathered together, they always gathered together to try to fight with Jesus, and he just wouldn't fight with them. But he did ask him a question one time. He says, hey, what do you think about the Messiah? Whose son is he? And they were so quick to have answers. How many know that religious people always have an answer and they have it quickly? It doesn't always come with heart and with love, but they always have an answer, okay? Whose son is he? The son of David, they replied. He said to them, and he asked this great question, how is it then that David, speaking by the Spirit, calls him Lord? For he says, quote, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how can he be his son? No one could say a word in reply. And from that day on, no one dared to ask him any more questions. Has somebody ever shut you down before? And you're like, I'm leaving that guy alone. I am leaving that lady alone. She is, she's gifted. Jesus quoted a psalm that David had written. Prophetically, they all believed that the Messiah was going to come from the lineage of David. So, So Jesus refers to a psalm that they all know, and it baffles them. Maybe it baffled them because the Lord said to my Lord. David, by the Spirit, heard what was taking place in the heavens when the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. It's it's an image of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is given revelation, so there's the Holy Spirit's involvement. 
of the Father speaking to the Son. The Holy Spirit reveals to David that the Father will say to the Son, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. Come on, folks, that's beautiful. He is the root and the offspring of David. How many of you know that God loves David? He loved him enough that he even named his own son after him. He calls him the son of David. Now, not only is he the son of David and the root and the offspring of David, but he's also the bright morning star. How many of you have ever wondered what that really means, the bright morning star? Um, as a matter of fact, did you know that Lucifer is also referred to as a morning star? So some people have a hard time with it. How can Jesus and the devil both be referred to as the same thing? What's interesting, when you read about Lucifer as a morning star, you read about how he tries to use his abilities to deceive people. Have you ever heard the enemy referred to as an angel of light? An angel of light. My wife has taught our daughters from the earliest I remember these conversations saying, girls, you need to guard yourself and walk in truth because people will try to wrap deception in 90% truth to make it easier to receive the lie. You've got to guard, you've got to know the truth because it's the truth that sets you free. And that, that's so true. So we're, we're one of those families that if it's not the full truth, it's not the truth. We're also one of those families that if you leave out important parts of the story, you haven't told us the truth. Everything that I said was true, but you're a liar. How many have had people tell you the complete truth, but they were a liar? Because what they told you was truthful, but they forgot the three uh, previous conversations that they failed to mention, okay? The enemy does that. He's an angel of light, but Jesus is the bright morning star. Now, nine out of 10 dentists agree, excuse me, that was a presentation last week. Nine out of 10 theologians, theolo I do some dentistry leadership on the side. Nine out of 10 theologians agree that when Jesus says he's the bright morning star, that at that time, it's not so much how you and I receive it, but we need to know how John would have received it and how the churches that would have got this message, how they would have received it, and they would have thought of Venus. How many remember Venus make my dreams come true? How many grew up on that? How many want to start dancing now? Now that it's okay, so they would have thought of Venus, why? Well, Venus is that planet that is, that is visible very early in the morning, and it's the brightest star, okay, that early in the morning, and it's a promise of a new day. It's a, you're like, hey, there, there's that bright morning star. Hope kind of arises again. How many know that sometimes that uh, it might be difficult at night, but joy comes in the morning, okay? You're going through a season of difficulty, but my goodness, the sun's coming up again, and we're gonna overcome, we're gonna get through this. So for Jesus to use that kind of analogy, to refer to himself as the bright morning star. Here's just some ideas. Jesus is the bright morning star. Number one, Jesus outshines all other lights. Number two, Jesus is our guarantee of a new day. Number three, Jesus is our promise of future opportunities and possibilities. And number four, Jesus is our constant. When we talk about Jesus being the bright morning star, we're talking about, yeah, there might be other lights but there is only one source of light, and he outshines everything else. Jesus is my promise that there's still hope. How many of you have ever gone through seasons of difficulty where you felt pretty hopeless? Okay. 
I've shared with you, and many of you know that attend our church, and I don't want to make this message testimonial about our family, but many of you know, and I've had several of you even today say, Pastor Brett, I've been following on Facebook, how's Sophia doing? Sophia spent 13 or 14 days in the hospital over the course of about three and a half weeks, and they couldn't figure out why the little girl, every time she ate, she would throw up, and they did. I'm telling you what, I love Jesus. I'm a man of faith. I have laid my hands on blind people and I've seen their eyes open, okay? So I know what it's like to walk in faith. But when you're praying over your little girl and she won't quit throwing up and you're watching her drop weight one day after another, anxiousness and fear can really start to set in. And I had to speak against it and stand against it. And I am so thankful that God has blessed me with an incredibly strong lady that, it, that I've been married to forever. And I say that in a great way, okay? I mean, we love each other and we hold each other accountable. And she's a woman of faith. But I had to speak faith. I had to keep praying. I was receiving encouragement from others. And in the middle of all of that, I was still worried. Now, before you throw too many stones at me and say, well, Pastor Brad, God's word says not to be anxious about anything, but everything by prayer. You're right, you mighty warrior. Okay? But how many mighty warriors know that it's a little more difficult when it's your family? And, right? And you're having to exercise that faith in that moment and remind yourself of the promises of God and I remember Beth said something, it was so profound. We had had all these promises, we've got prophetic words, we know the things that God has in store for our daughter, but she said something that was so profound and God used it to just kind of help me break out of the funk that I was in. You know what she said? You ready for this? You need to jot this down, don't ever forget it. Brad, she's just throwing up. Now my first thought was, yeah, for three and a half weeks. But she went, she's just throwing up. And that kept ringing in my head. She's just throwing up. For crying out loud, if God can speak the universe into existence, if Jesus can walk on water, if he can multiply the bread and the fish, if he can open the eyes of the blind man, you think he can take care of my daughter throwing up? I, I think he can. When she said that, something shifted in me. I'm not saying that everything shifted immediately for Sophia, but I'm like, she's just throwing up. And I began to go into my prayer time going, Lord, she's just throwing up. And it's, it's almost like he's up there going, oh, thank you for that revelation, son. That's why I gave that woman to you, because you're so dull, right? Okay. Listen, I know what it's like to feel hopeless by a situation that you're in. And if you keep looking at the situation that you're in, you'll continue to feel that way. But if you'll lift your eyes up and you'll start looking at your situation from the viewpoint of your God, it will change everything. There was an entire army that kept looking at the size of Goliath, but there was one 13-year-old boy that looked at the size of that man in comparison to the size of his God, and he steps up and he says, who is this uncircumcised fellow that speaks against the armies of the living God? And Goliath is like, who are you? And before he knows it, he's dead and his head's chopped off because one 13-year-old actually believed that God defeats giants. 
okay? God defeats giants. God defeats arthritis. God defeats blindness. God defeats sin. God defeats poverty. God defeats brokenness. God defeats depression. Let's start looking at our battles through the perspective of who our God is. Oh, come on now, church. If I was a guest speaker somewhere, they would have got really excited about that one right there. I'm telling you right there, that was the money shot. That was the, that was the one. Thank you. Thank you. They would have increased the honorarium after that statement. I'm just telling you right now. I know how it goes. I've been there. Last thought is this. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 16 through 19. Look at this. We're going to get out early today. Some of you are going, it's after 12. Yeah, we always get out after 12, so this is early for us, all right? The later we let you out, the warmer it is. It's because I love you that I keep you here, right? You understand. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 16 through 19. We don't follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. I love this. This is the apostle Simon Peter, okay? He's like, hey, when we talked to you about Jesus, we weren't following cleverly invented stories. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received honor and glory from God the Father. When the voice came from heaven, the majestic glory saying, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. How many remember that Peter and James and John were up on the mountain with Jesus when God spoke that word? God, and it's interesting because Peter left out the rest of the story. Remember the rest of the story? This is my son whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. Be quiet, Peter, and listen to him. Remember that? Peter left that out here. Can't blame him. Can't blame him for leaving that part out. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. And we have the word of the prophets made more certain, and you'll do well to pay attention to it, is to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. This is beautiful. You'll do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. What's this whole thought of, we have the word of the prophets made more certain? You even understand that stuff? If you dig into this, what Peter was saying to that group of people was, we had prophetic words about Jesus, that he would be born in Bethlehem, that he would be born of a virgin, that he would be called Emmanuel, God with us, that he would do signs and wonders. Let me just throw this out there and then we'll start to wrap up. And how many know when I say start to wrap up, that really means nothing? Do you understand that? Okay. Let me just, just think about this. I've had people say to me, you know what? I don't believe that Jesus was the son of God. I just believe that he was a good teacher. And I think, I think about that and I go, well, have you read his teachings? Because he claimed to be the son of God. And if you don't believe he's the son of God, but he's a good teacher, those things don't come together because if he's not the son of God, can I go there? He's a liar. He's a manipulator. He's a deceiver. I mean, to be quite honest with you, if Jesus isn't the son of God, he probably is Satan. That's why the Pharisees even said, you do these things by Beelzebub, the prince of devils. Remember what Beelzebub means? Lord of the flies. Why that? I'm not sure. It's by, it's by being the Lord of the flies that you do these things. And Jesus is like, well, how do you do them? because some of their own people were casting out devils. 
If I'm doing this by the power of Satan, what are you doing it by? Ultimately, because you're standing in opposition to me, and I'm here bringing the light. If Jesus isn't the Son of God, he's a liar. At Maybe at best, he was deceived himself. Have you ever met somebody that had too much of an ego complex? Okay. <laughs> wow, your hand came up quick. You, do you live with them? Okay, it just seemed like an appropriate time to ask. All right, my dad. Okay, so, all right. I mean, if, if Jesus isn't the son of God, he was either a liar or he really was deceived. He was delusional. He had the ultimate helicopter mom, right? That he actually really believed everything that she's, you know, son, you were born of a virgin, right? You're amazing. You're going to be able to walk on water one of these days. And he did. Okay, so either he was deceived or he was a deceiver or he really was the son of God. And so when the apostle Peter says, we have the words made more certain, what he's saying was, before we had all these words and we were trying to believe them, we thought they were right, we were looking for their fulfillment, but guess what? They have been. And because Jesus fulfilled these things, I trust him even more than I did before. I already was trying to walk by faith in him, but now there's even more fortification to my faith. And you do well to pay attention to it until the day dawns. In other words, until your eyes are opened and the light shines and the morning star rises where? In your heart. Jesus is the root and offspring of David. He's the bright and morning star. But if you don't let that rise in your heart, it doesn't matter. I mean, it matters for me and it matters for the billions that are following him, but ultimately he wants you. Will you let the morning star rise in your heart? Final five things, I'll read them to you and then I'll bless you. Jesus is more than a star, number one, because he's the star breather. I mean, how can he just be a star when he created them? Jesus is more than the star, number two, because he's the star and the king from Israel. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not yet. A star will rise out of Jacob and a scepter out of Israel. Number three, Jesus is the Messiah of David. He's the one that we've been looking for. Number four, Jesus is the promise of a new day and new opportunity. And number five, Jesus isn't a good story. He's our salvation. I, I believe the prophetic words spoken about him. I believe that he fulfilled everything that he was supposed to fulfill the first time. And I believe that he's coming again. And he will fulfill everything that he said he would fulfill the second time. And you know what? I'm not going to bow down to an idol and give up on the morning star. I'm actually going to say, God, would you continue to rise in my heart? Open my eyes to understand more than I do now. Let me know you more. Let me walk deeply with you in Jesus' name.